Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Heavenly Father, we come again with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and transgressions. And those things are place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time I have with my sisters in Christ that you have all kept us, Lord, in good health and perfect peace, that you have allowed us, Lord, to walk with you and try and get to know you, Lord, every single day. Lord, imparting your grace to us that we may know what it is to taste the Lord and see that he is good. As you work with us, Lord, through this experience of our flesh, of the world, and of the devil, you are forming, Lord, a type of person that is Christ-like. And Lord, we know that there are two natures down here. We know that there is one that is that you meant for to be like you, that reaches his full potential in Jesus. And then there's the other, Lord, that you had no intentions on making, except that the enemy, Lord, had made this. So we're just asking, Lord, that we can go beyond where we are. We're just asking, Lord, that we can be a part of the promised land. We just ask, Lord, that we begin to dwell with you, Lord, in all things we do and all matter of thought and conversation, and all things, Lord, that you want us to have. Lord, we're just asking that you just put a boldness in us, Lord, and place your spirit in us, that we may go and proclaim the gospel wherever we are. Whomever we may speak to, whomever we've got to talk to, Lord, I'm just asking that you just make it so. I'm asking for those who couldn't be here today, Lord, that you bless them. Our sister Trina with cancer, our sister Cammie, Lord, we pray that her results, Lord, go well. And I'm asking that you pray for their families, Lord, that they not lose the faith, but cling to you, for there is nothing too hard for you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we're just asking, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of confusion, every spirit of contention, every spirit of jealousy, malice, hatred, every spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief, Every spirit that is keeping our family members and our friends, Lord, from turning to you. I'm asking that those strongholds be shattered in the name of Jesus, that you go, Lord, that you loose the Holy Ghost, that he may go out, Lord, and arrest them and bring them in. For, Lord, you are there to get the fleeing felons that they might know you. So we know, Lord, that you will do all these things because you can and because you will. You said that all it takes is our faith, Lord, so let us not lack. For these are the times that try men's souls, Lord, but you have called us unto a higher calling that we might have more belief, faith to faith, glory to glory. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and true, and you are worthy of all praises. Lord, we ask that you do these things for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so tonight's study is going to be called Mary and Martha. I know that's not something a lot of people would like to talk about, but the Lord gave me a whole lesson from it. So I'm just hoping that it all goes well because we're not relying on our flesh. 
We want to be taught, so we're just praying that the Holy Ghost will come upon us and give us his spirit of teaching and learning that we might receive. But before we get going, um, Melissa's going to sing a song uh, for us, and then we'll get right into the lesson. But what we're going to see as far as Mary and Martha are concerned are two different types of nature. And these are the things that we have to be careful with because although they were both close to Jesus, there was only one that was essential for, for getting to know him and getting in. We have to understand that knowing Jesus and knowing about Jesus are two different things. Yep. So we don't ever want to be on the side of knowing about him. We want to know him. Okay, so from here, Melissa's going to sing and then we'll get going.
was awesome. Yeah, that was fitting for what we're going to have today because when you're talking about walking with the potter, again, we're going to address two different types of nature. In today's study, again, as Mary and Martha, Martha, this is um, Derek uh, Hallett of Sound of Trumpet Ministries, soundoftrumpetministries.com. So what we're going to do, we're going to get started first in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to start at verse 1. I think we're going to go there before we get going because some people would figure, well, what's the big deal with Mary and Martha? There isn't a whole lot said about them. But we're going to understand why reading this, it's so important that we take heed to every word that is written in this book. Mm -hmm. It's not up to you to decide who's what's important or not. It's up to understand that all of the word of God is inspiration. It's inspiration of God, all of it. So we're going to 1 Corinthians 10. And we'll start at verse 1. All right. And it says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that, our, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So Paul is saying, you know, don't be ignorant about what, you know, these old stories and what this was about. This was important. This is not something old and archaic. God's word is timeless. So he's saying, don't be ignorant. Don't look at this story as a thing of the past. Look at verse 3. And did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. And they drank of all that spiritual rock uh, that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, if you guys remember, we did a, a teaching behind the veil. We've done so many teachings on the wilderness. But what we got to understand is that wilderness is the place where you are. So first you have, again, you have the outer court, all right, which is the world. You have the inner court, which is in your very soul. And then you have the holiest, the most holy place, which is the spirit, okay, which is, which is you and, and God. All right. So what they're trying to make clear here is these people were overthrown in the wilderness. And most people, like I said, though they may leave Egypt, leaving the world behind, the place that they get stuck is in the wilderness, in their own souls, in their own minds, in their own wills, in their own emotions. Okay, so these people made it no farther than the wilderness because this is where they were overthrown. But we have to understand in order to get out of the wilderness, we have to be spirit to spirit with God. Okay, so that is even body, soul, and spirit. There are so many examples for this. So this is what they're talking about, the children of Israel. Look at verse 6. Now these things were our example to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So, you know, that would involve everything that is in the soul. Anytime that there is a focus on you void of Jesus Christ, sure enough that those things are going to be not of God. Okay, the soul is no place for God. The soul is where God can be once the spirit rules the body and the soul. So um, hold where you are. We're going to get back to this because this is an important story, but we're going to Galatians chapter 5. And I think we're going to start at verse 19. So that's right next door.
Let's start at verse uh, verse 16. All right, so Galatians 5 and verse 16. Everybody there? Yep. All right, Galatians 5 and 16, and it says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led by the Spirit, ye are not under the law. So let's make this clear. We were talking about one, um, what we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10. These people were overthrown in the wilderness. Okay, so they were overthrown in their own souls, never making it into the Spirit, which was the promised land. He's saying, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So that would give you three different kinds of consciousness. Again, you have world conscious, which is where you're concerned about the world and all that the world has. Then you have self-conscious, which is, you know, pretty much you focusing on you. And then there is God conscious, which is where, you know, to me, that is really the place that we need to be. If he made us, then he knows exactly what to do with us. If he knows the beginning of the end, then God is who you ought to, you know, pay attention to or be with. So when you look at that, there are three different types of words that go with these consciousness. When you're world conscious, you may suffer regret. Okay, when you're world conscious, I mean, when you're self-conscious, you may suffer remorse. And when you are God conscious, you suffer repentance. Okay, so repentance is the thing that helps you to make it right with God that you can walk in the spirit. But when you regret, you can regret just about anything. That doesn't make it of any importance. You can regret not doing something bad. So you see how worldly it is? You can regret not being a, a boxer or whatever it is that you wanted to be. Those things won't bring you any bit closer to God. Remorse is a little bit deeper because when you have remorse, it's kind of like what I did was wrong, whether it was to me or to someone else. So now we're getting somewhere mm -hmm. because now you're starting to have this inner feeling of I need to change. But then when you go into repentance, you understand, just like David said in Psalm 51, it is against you and you only have I sinned. When you recognize it's God you offend, when it's God that you do these things to, then you have a clear understanding that God is the only one you owe. And that's why the Bible tells us you owe no man nothing but to love him. And if you love him, you will preach the gospel. There is no IOUs in the kingdom of God, except that we are to love our God and love our neighbor. What were you going to say? Yeah, and if the enemy or Satan can get a hold of people, he can even have them regret that they were even born. Exactly. And that's where a lot of people get the spirit of suicide that comes into people's lives. That feeling of despair and hopelessness. Okay, so the flesh and the spirit are contrary, the one to the other. This is why some went into the wilderness. I mean, some stayed in the wilderness and others went into the promised land. For more understanding, guys, of what I'm saying, you know, because I might not be that clear, I've got to go forward. But uh, go to soundandtrumpetministries.com and look up a video called Behind the Veil. We just did it last week, but it would explain a lot. All right, so verse 18, and it says, But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Now notice, it says if you are in the Spirit, you're not under the law. So that means that anything that applied to old Levitical law is not um, holding you today. 
that if you are someone that is focused in fleshly works, then you're going to have this. Okay, because now that God had opened the most holiest, of, the holiest of all for us to walk in the spirit, if you go to the Lord, you are under a curse. And if you are under a curse, you are a partaker in what we're about to read. If At one point, they had to rely on this because this was just a training ground. Now that God has given you the spirit to be like him, you can't work your way to salvation. You've got to know Jesus Christ, and through there you will have good works because the spirit will lead us unto good works. That's why immediately after it says you're not under the law, look at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murder, drunkenness, revelings, which is like rioting, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that that they that which do <laughs> that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. So we understand here that those people that were caught up in the wilderness were caught up in these, okay? The ones that were in the Spirit, which is what they would have had had they gone into the promised land. So I just wanted to bring this point up about being in your soul is not the best place to be, especially when you got the spirit waiting for you. But it is better than being in the flesh. But if you don't get to the spirit eventually, you will turn around and go back to the flesh. All right. So from here, we can go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and we'll continue where we left off. Does that make any sense? Anybody want to add anything? Or? Okay. So 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, I believe that We'll start at verse 5 again. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. They weren't just overthrown in the physical wilderness. They were overthrown in the wilderness of their minds. And that's why the Bible made clear that the Gentiles walk after the vanity of their own minds, not after Christ. So therefore, they're overthrown to the pleasures of this life instead of going forward. And that's where you truly get the title, Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. All right, so it says in verse 6, Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So right away, we understand that reading uh, Galatians 5, when it talks about what was in the flesh, we had already covered two things that they were doing there. And one is idolatry and the other is, you know, lusting after evil things. Okay, so this is what we understand that they were lovers of themselves. Verse 8, neither let us commit fornication. There's another as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ 
as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for in, for in samples, in samples as in examples, and they were written for our admonition, our warning, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Do you see this is important? So the story of Mary and Martha are no different than what we just read, okay? This is another example that we may take heed lest we fall. Does that make sense? All right, so from here we're going to go to Luke 10, and we're going to start at verse 38. Now, this is a two-part study. The first part, I mean, it's not going to be very long, I don't think. But, you know, you never know. Mm -hmm. But the, the first part is going to be focused on one account. And then the second part is going to be focused on another account of this same story. All right, so Luke uh, 10 and verse 38. And it says, Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. Received too. Received Jesus. Verse uh, 39. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. So, you know, she's pretty upset. This Martha, she invited Jesus into her home. Jesus is her guest. She's preparing all these nice things for him. And I guess at the time, Mary was helping. So Martha is upset about this serving because Mary had left Martha, I guess, in the kitchen or doing something, setting the table. And she's just sitting there at Jesus' feet, just being entertained by, well, not being entertained, but being enthralled by everything that Jesus is um, saying. So Martha's upset. And, you know, we've all dealt with this before where we start out having a project to clean the house together. And you notice the kids start out with you for a minute or whomever's with you, they start out helping. All of a sudden, you find them in back of the room playing video games. And you're like, oh, oh, wait a minute. We got more work to do. This isn't over yet. Okay, so Martha is frustrated. So we've all been here, we understand, but listen to Jesus in verse 41. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Okay, so this is, this is huge because Martha is trying to impress the Lord through having all this extravagant stuff built together. And Jesus is saying, Martha, I didn't even ask you to do this stuff. I appreciate what you're doing. But the one part that, that Mary had chosen is needful. And that's not going to be taken away from her. So Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, hearing his word, the word of life, the living word speak for instruction. And the other was trying to impress him and got frustrated with it. So what are we talking about here? Because this is what you're going to find going on in a lot of churches. You got everybody trying to build up the church, 
golden chandeliers rolling out the red carpet, pastor's appreciation dinner, you know, the, the 40th anniversary of the church, you know, and all this stuff going on. But all God is interested in is relationship. So these, these two represent two things. One is religion and the other is relationship. And we're going to forever have this issue dealing with people. All God wants is you. And all we want to give him is our religious works. And we're going to compare this to a lot of other things, okay? So let's go forward. All right, let's go to, um, let's see. Well, I want to lay the floor. No, I'm going to go there. Let's go there. All right, so let's go to Revelation 2, and we'll start at verse 1. Because there's a story that is very similar to this. There was a church that actually, you know, was somewhat like Mary and Martha. Well, more like Martha than Mary, but let's see. So we're going to Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 1. Tell you, religion doesn't get you in. It is relationship totally. All right, Revelation 2 and 1, and it says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and uh, for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. So man, this sounds like the perfect church. These people were patient. They were hardworking for Jesus. They were spotting the false apostles in there. I mean, they were just like a, a machine. They were just, you know, hey, we're doing this. We're doing that. We're laboring hard. We're out there winning souls. We're doing all these things. I mean, they were so busy. They were so busy for Jesus that they were too busy for him. Now, how do you work that out? Look at verse 4. <laughs> Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, uh, that thou um, hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So, you know, they even hated the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. They were doing some things right. They hated that old system of having the um, the the clergy mm -hmm. up above and the laity, the common folk, serving them. So the Church of Ephesus was doing all these things right. But Jesus said, you guys have forgotten all about me. You were so busy for me, you forgot about me. And this is what we can all do. We can sing for the Lord. We can um, have Bible studies. We can go out and win souls. But where the Lord wants us is before him in time alone, in his word, in prayer, in fasting, in seeking his counsel. And this is what Mary did, and this is what Martha wasn't doing. Martha was so busy trying to impress the Lord through works, and she wanted this to be an extravagant party, an event that the Lord will feel welcome here. But all the Lord wanted was Martha. Okay, and R.W. Schombach tells a story about this, how he went out laying hands, because they would have these huge tent revivals, and he would go, I think he was in Houston, 
Odell was one of these places. But he had laid hands, I think, on, man, maybe 3,000 people that week or maybe that night. I mean, he laid hands on that many people. People were getting healed, you know, and all this stuff was going on. And he said, every day I would come home and just, you know, say a few, a little short prayer and go to bed. And he said, the Lord let him get away with that three days. And then finally the Lord said to him, you know, you've been spending so much time with the people. You haven't been spending time with me. And that's when the Lord told him to get on his face and to pray. And he said instantly his battery felt recharged. So when we're out there in the world and we're out there doing work for the Lord, you can't escape the source of life. You can't be disconnected from that source. You have to be a part of the tree of life. And this is where Adam and Eve fell. Okay? Because all they had was the tree of life. They didn't have to worry about it. They wanted to be their own gods, listening to the serpent. And instantly they were disconnected from the tree. Then what happened? Sin came in. Death came in. Corruption set in. And they had a veil placed between them and God that they could not have. So we should never lose the relationship regardless of what work. Because eventually the Holy Ghost will lead you out there to do what is necessary. Relationship is better than work. And what do we read in, in 1 Samuel chapter 15? When uh, I think it was in verse 23. When it says obedience is better than sacrifice. And it talks about that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to have God's spirit and do God's work. But you are rebellious to that which God is calling you to do. Because God wants us before him. He'll direct you to go out and do whatever. But we can't put the cart before the horse thinking we're working our way to salvation. Knowing that we need the relationship to endure. So the church of Ephesus, he warned them. Your candlestick is going to be removed because what you're doing, you're doing for you and not me. Mm -hmm. How do I know it? You're not coming to the source to be refilled. You're running on your own fuel. So therefore, God knows it can't be for me because if it was for me, I would be putting, I would constantly be filling you so that you may go. And I'm even learning this with a lot of these lessons and teachings. I don't like to read other people's work anymore unless I'm making an example. That's a big mistake to read the commentary at times when God can be trying to show you through revelation something else. There were many times I felt the spirit on me and I wanted to go and look up what someone thought of a story that the Lord had already given me revelation to have. But no, I wanted to get it precise so I can get it right so that when the commentators come or these people that are supposedly... Um, these uh, theologians would come, they would see that I was biblically sound. The Lord doesn't care anything about that religious garbage. What he wants us to do is have a relationship that he may show us. So what I would do, instead of reading what the Lord was telling me to read so he could give me understanding, I wanted someone else's. And you know what? I felt the spirit just back up off me. And, and after a while, all I was doing was presenting information wasn't getting me anywhere, and I, I felt dry. It felt like, okay, now that you ran through all these scriptures, you've completed the work, but there was no revelation. There was no life. There was no spirit. There was no empowering of the Holy Ghost to get deeper understanding. 
So, you know, we've got to yield to the Lord. And that's why the Bible says in 1 John, you, have, you don't have need that someone teach you once you have the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost will teach you and bring you into all truth and righteousness. Why? Because God knows what he meant by these words. But some people, they put it in concrete. This is what it means, and that's all you'll get. And you'll be just like the other theologians. No life, no Holy Ghost. Just a religious cemetery full of, you know, head knowledge. But there is no spirit-to-spirit -spirit connection. Yep. All right? So we got to understand what this is about. Let's go to John 15. I was going to uh, ask real quick. Are you going to Revelation 3 at all? No. Okay. Um, I was also going to mention about uh, when Mary sat at, or when the church of Ephesus forgot their first love, and when Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, Revelation 3 and 20 is, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him, and he with me. Exactly. So, you know, and the Lord even says in James 4, If you draw nigh to me, I will draw nigh to you. God wants us to be close with him. Mm -hmm. Okay, he doesn't care about all the other stuff. And we're going to see that he was always this way. This isn't a new thing. This isn't a new fad. But see, a lot of churches are out there telling people, no, come to my church. Learn this. Learn that. But they're not showing you the least how to be one-to-one -one with Jesus. And see, this is why people don't feel spiritually fed and how they can keep you in a pew 40, 50 years. Because they're not telling you to eventually leave the nest. They want you right where you can stay so you can help to finance their empire. Mm -hmm. There is nothing wrong with being in a church, okay? I'm not speaking against that, but the church is only a base camp to get people groomed, trained, and out there to do the gospel and the will of God themselves. Mm -hmm. But first and foremost, we need relationship. Look at John 15 and verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So what are we understanding? If he is the vine, then the fruit will be connected to the vine. But you can't be connected to the vine and not be productive. So you see how that goes? You have to stay with the vine. That is your relationship, and you will bear fruit. But how can you stay with the vine and not be productive? Okay, so this is where the Lord will eventually tell you, stop smiling in my face and get the job done. But you first have to be connected to the vine. You got a lot of people love the idea of Jesus. And that's why he said, many people will profess me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Because they don't have the relationship enough for the Lord to say or to hear him say, let's get this done. We just, you know, I just love the presence, the feeling of the Lord. But while you were feeling him, did you hear him give you commandment? So this is, these are the things that we need to pay attention to. Verse 3. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. So he's telling them the same thing. So while Mary was sitting there, you know, smiling at Jesus and soaking in the word, because he said through the word, you were clean. So Mary was being cleansed at the feet of Jesus. We're going to find out Mary was doing much more than that in the second part to this and what she was doing for Jesus. But 
He said, you abide in me and I in you. But Martha here was so busy trying to impress the Lord. It's like, no, Martha, you better work on your relationship. Mary is not going to leave my feet. She is right where she needs to be that she may grow. But Martha was willing to impress him through her own works. The same way Adam and Eve were seeking their own salvation, wanting to be their own gods. And this is why the Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds, overthrown in the wilderness of their souls, because they have not been yet spirit to spirit with God. So he says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. And what does nothing mean? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Zilch, kaput, zero. You can't even breathe. Look at verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So that tells us right there, you need to have a relationship. And we're going to find out why this is so true. Even what Jesus is saying here, we are these fruit connected to the vine. Not connected to the vine, and they go out in self. That's why he said, if a man abide not in me, that means he's out on his own. Hey, he's cast forth as a branch. You're not one of mine because I don't know you. Doesn't that story sound familiar? He doesn't know them. So therefore, you're cast forth and thrown into the fire. So I guess you guys know where we're going next. Let's go to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, and we'll start at verse 13. Back to the ten virgins. That'll be the next one, Matthew 25. Right now, we're going to Matthew 7. Right. Matthew 7, we'll start at verse 13, and it says, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Why? Because most people have not figured out that Jesus is the true vine. Verse 14, Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. This couldn't be the, the many that were overthrown in the wilderness, right? Because this is exactly what it's like. These are the people that don't want to seek Christ. They don't want to believe Jesus is the only way. Yeah, I was raised knowing Jesus, and I got some new philosophy and some new understanding from my education, and I'm recognizing that Jesus is only one part of a hand. And the rest of the hand is Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism and Judaism and all of that mixed in with the new age the new wave will give people more understanding of how to love your neighbor the Bible doesn't say that and will never say that the Bible makes clear that Jesus is the way the truth and the life and no man comes unto the Father but by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone so this is what we need to understand this is why many people won't go in through the broad gate I mean, won't go in, they go in through the broad gate, but they won't go in through the narrow gate. And we're going to find out what keeps a bunch of other people out. So let's continue. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. False prophets 
are a big part of why a lot of people end up not making it in because they hear things that are pleasing to their eyes and their ears and their senses and they go with it. Joe Osteen has a church. How many people in that church? Millions. Maybe a hundred and maybe 200, 300,000. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, that attend maybe different services and then you got the people that are listening and buying his books and he's a motivational speaker because you get up inside. Today is a good day. And all my people, something good is going to happen to me. You know, all that stuff. You know, every day is Friday, but he's pleasing to the senses. But he's not, he hardly talks about Jesus unless he's talking about money. <laughs> I mean, and it's like people listen to this guy, but that's not getting you in. So these are the false prophets. Verse 16. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every tree, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Here's another point about these figs and these grapes and these thorns and these thistles. We got to understand that. Remember, the devil last week or two weeks ago placed a thorn in Paul's side. Okay, remember, he put it in, in, in um, Jesus. Uh, no, in Paul's uh, flesh. He placed a thorn in his flesh. Paul was excited about the work that he was doing for the Lord. He had this vision caught up in the third heaven. He wasn't going to brag about it. He was he was bragging in his infirmities because he noticed at one point he was doing all these things right. He was doing all this work for the Lord. What happened next? The devil ended up, you know, persecuting him. And see, the devil can't persecute your spirit. The devil persecutes your flesh. Okay, because that's the only thing he has in this time and space continuum to hold on to. So Paul was shipwrecked. Paul was beaten. Paul was stoned. Paul had all these things happen to him. I think a snake bit him in, um, in, in the book of Acts. A poisonous snake, and he just shook it off. But he had all these things happen to him, and he said, Lord, because the devil sent one of his messengers to do this to him. And Paul said, Lord, I prayed three times, let this cup pass for me, sounding just like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus in the Garden, it wasn't Jesus who didn't want to die. It was the flesh of Jesus that didn't want to die. So we just mentioned false prophets, and we're talking about these thorns and these figs of thistles. But the Lord said he's not going to take away Paul's suffering. Paul is going through because this flesh needs to be totally taken off. If you got false prophets giving you thorns and thistles, which are pretty much strengthening your flesh or keeping you in the here and now and wanting that which is of the world, then they are false prophets because the goal for any Christian is to die so that Jesus Christ can live. And we're going to go into this. But this is another reason why people don't get in. Because instead of growing the Christ in you and empowering the Jesus Christ to be formed in you, they're empowering you, void of Jesus, to do dead works in this physical carnal life. All right, verse 20. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So there you have another Mary and Martha thing. Mary is at the feet of Jesus, getting to know Jesus. And then you have Martha, who was out there calling him, Lord, don't you mind that my sister's not helping me over here? So you see, she called him Lord. Look at verse 22. Many will say unto me on that, in that day, 
Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied works in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils works. And in thy name done many wonderful works. All right. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So what does it take? To know Jesus Christ. Then you can be imparted to good works. But a lot of us will fall in love with the gifts and forsake Jesus and go out and do the will. And that's why Shambach got that warning that he did. Now, an interesting point is the word for works, I mean, the word for new is the Hebrew or the Greek word uh, G1492. Okay, it's the same word for um, in Hebrew, which is the word yada, yada, which means Adam knew his wife and she conceived. They were intimate. She conceived. Now, you know, it's, a, it's funny when you look at husbands and wives and people. If you have a type of intimacy with them, they don't have to say a word. And you know that something is wrong with them. I mean, for, for many cases, even times we're sitting here and study that you guys know me through intimate relationship concerning spending time with me, being in the word and, and being, in, you know, mind to mind, spirit to spirit. That you guys know in many cases when a challenge will come up in here, you know, like the devil will bring one of his messengers and they'll say something, automatically you guys may know how I'm going to react or what I'm going to say or even what I'm thinking because you know me. This is the way that we have to know God. God wants an intimate relationship with you and I that we may know him, we know his thoughts, we know his ways. But you find with a lot of church people, they are deceived. They'll hear good messages and they'll say, I can feel the presence of God in here. Man, if you get any spare time, listen to this video that Pastor Gary Price did on what is wrong with church people. You guys write that down. And I mean, listen to that because he was so precise on how you got some people that know they'll go to some places and get the true word of God. And then they'll run into other places where they know that this isn't the word. They know they're not being spiritually fed. They know that it hasn't had one impact or any impact on their salvation whatsoever. But what do they do? They go there not to offend. Because they know that preaching what we're talking about will offend most people. Mm -hmm. Man, I should play that clip. Okay, what Pastor Price was talking about. But what he was saying is you got so many people out there, they're undercover listeners. They'll go out there, go to church, do whatever, enjoy church, and realize it didn't have anything to do with their spiritual growth. They just had a good time. They were entertained. And then they come back here, you know, and then be listening in on what the, what the word says. No, and Gary Price said, you know what? No, don't come here. Leave us alone. Go and do what you like to do and, and be into what you do because you're not committed to that which you know is helping you grow. He said they'll run there and support that, pay their tithe, do whatever. But when it comes to him, they'll listen to his messages, knowing that they will offend other people. So this is why we have to stay with the Lord. But God wants an intimate relationship with us, you know, and that's how Adam knew his wife. The Lord wants to know. Well, he knows us. He wants us to know him, that we may have deeper revelation and deeping, deeper understanding. Can you think of any words? more frightening than I never knew you. All this time, you've been in church for 40 years. You believe that you were in, and this is what it was about. 
Man, the pastor preached a good message. I paid my tithes. I went to church. I never missed a service. I sang in a choir. I greeted people as they came in, hugging them, showing them the love of the Lord. But they themselves don't know Jesus Christ. And imagine just marching up on that day because you think you made it in. And you go to him, Lord, you know, um, man, haven't we done all these things in your name? Lord, I'm ready to go in. And the Lord is just looking at you. I can just imagine a serious face, two eyes as a flame of fire looking right into your soul. And he's wondering, what are you so happy about? Who are you? You can say all this, Lord, Lord, Lord. And the Lord is, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, some people would say, what's wrong with going to church? Nothing. But you've got to be led by the Spirit. And it needs to be a Spirit-filled church. You've got to be led because what you're pretty much saying, what Jesus is saying here is all this time, my spirit was calling you to get to know me and to work for me. And you were listening to that guy in the pulpit telling you all this stuff. So how do you know Jesus? You know about Jesus, but you don't know Jesus. Mary and Martha, here we go. Verse 24, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and do with them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. So right after he went into knowing him and saying that they were of iniquity, I guess he's speaking to those who do know him. So he's saying, for these people heareth my sayings. So they got to be sitting up under him in order to hear what Jesus is saying. How do you hear the word of Jesus if you're not spending time with him, if you're not in his word? So you've got to know Jesus. You can't hear his words by your imagination. You got to have the Lord tell you for real. So he said, they hear these sayings of mine and do with them. I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. Why? Because in order to build a house, you have to get down in that foundation, go through that bedrock, and build a strong foundation. There is no relationship, there is no friendship that can be built unless it's on a strong foundation. Because other than that, what do you have? Fair weather friends. You got these people that will come to you when times are good. Oh, they're around. Times get too rough. Hey, man, that's your problem. I can't help you out. So we all know that true friends are there through thick and thin. Jesus said, there is no greater love than he who layeth down his life for his friends. So that's someone that's committed. Mm -hmm. All right. So that house was founded on a rock because it's built its foundation in that rock. Verse 26. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not. So these are people that can hear God's word. Martha probably heard Mary, I mean, heard Jesus talking while she was setting the table. She was probably in the kitchen preparing a nice meal while, while Jesus was talking. She was listening, but was she really hearing it? So these are the other people. These are the people that don't have a relationship. Yeah, I can pop in a YouTube video. I can come and hear the pastor speak, but how much of it does it apply to my life? And that's why Jesus said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that he had all these people, Cephas, Apollos, and this and that, teaching you the word. But God gives the increase. So you've got to have a relationship with him in order to even understand them that you may have growth. There is no escaping a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Verse 27. Or 26. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Why no relationship? We can't wait for things to go sideways or to go through persecution not having a relationship with Jesus because mentally we will say, yes, I read about the mark of the beast and I'm not going to be one that's going to take it because I have all the information here and what it says. But you did not build your house up with Jesus. So who do you have it to compare to? You got to be built on the faith of Jesus Christ and faith in your relationship with him. Mm -hmm. More husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, working relationships, whatever. If you don't have any trust and faith in that relationship, there is no way that it can work. It has to be proven. It has to take time. Okay, but this is what he's talking about. So anything that is not built up in Christ is going to fall. And that includes even your imagination of knowing about Jesus, but not knowing Jesus. All right, so from here, let's go to Matthew 25, because we're going to get back into knowing Jesus and how important it is. Now, one was wise that built his house on Christ. The other was foolish. And these may be this guy's daughters in Matthew 25. <laughs> I don't know, but it's funny how the Bible will constantly go into that which is wise and that which is foolish. Mary was wise for being at the feet of Jesus and taking in everything. She's seeing in a relationship. I'm not going to waste this time I have with the King of Glory. Martha, well, Jesus is one of my guests. Like anybody else, I'm going to prepare a meal. I'm going to do this and do that. They didn't have the nerve to get loud with him. You know about, Lord, don't you even care that is who you think you're talking to? But this is someone that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And when you don't have a relationship with him, you will misjudge him and you will find yourself angry with him because he didn't meet your needs. That wasn't even a part of his call. But if you had a relationship, you would know this. Yeah. And one thing is that not everyone realizes that we can never have too much of Jesus Christ. Never. Never. And, but that's a lie that the enemy has propagated on people that, you know, he, basically to some people, he's just a figment of their imagination. They'll quote scripture to you and everything like that. But when it comes down to having an individual relationship and treating him as he's our true father, that's like, you know, beyond their comprehension because their pastor is not telling them that. Exactly. When you tell people, well, you know, I'm seeking a relationship with Jesus Christ to know him, mm -hmm. church people will get offended with that. They don't even believe it. Mm -hmm. Oh, you, you're trying to tell me you can get to know the Lord for real? Yeah. What do you think this is all about? Exactly. But some people, yeah, I have a relationship with Jesus too. How do you know? I go to church. I listen to his word. Well, listen to his word and not becoming the living word mm -hmm. as he is, is a big difference. Exactly. But in order to have it, Christ needs to be grown in us. Matthew 25 and verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Now, this may be a little difficult to understand, but if you read Matthew 7 and then come here, it makes perfect sense. 
That oil in your lamp is spirit to spirit relationship. That means your house was getting built up. You see how the foundation has to be built so you can grow. Well, these people had, uh, the, the, the wise had oil in their lamps because they were storing up their treasure in Jesus Christ, having Jesus Christ formed in them. But the foolish had no oil in their lamp. Why? They went to church. They knew about Jesus. I got plenty of time to do the things of God. So just knowing the truth in Jesus isn't enough either. You have to know in order to do. And that's why he said the wise will hear and do, but the foolish will hear and not do. So just knowing some truth doesn't mean anything. You've got to know Jesus. And when you are one with him, man, it all makes sense. All right, so it says, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Okay, so the foolish didn't, and the wise did. Verse 5, while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made. Now notice, there were two different people sleeping here. The Spirit is just revealing this to me. One was sleeping with the assurance of, I'm entering into my rest in the Spirit. Mm -hmm. I'm in my rest. I've got nothing to worry about because I'm in the promise. I'm in the spirit. I'm waiting on the Lord to come. The other, okay, was slack, slothful. I'll do it tomorrow. I'm tired. I can get with Jesus any day. After all, he is all around us. So there were two different kinds of people sleeping in. One was in his rest sleeping. One was in the spirit sleeping. Because remember, Christians don't die. They sleep and they ride. There's so many ways to take this. But then you got the foolish. Oh, man, it don't take all of that. I'm going to have a good night's sleep. But if you look at this, there were two different kinds of people sleeping. Hold your thought. Then all those virgins, oh, Lord, verse 6, And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. So they were all ready, or so they thought. No, the, see, but you know what? At the coming of Jesus Christ here, look at verse 8. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. They instinctively knew that this is the time of Jesus. I'm not where I need to be. I don't have a relationship with him yet. So you see, those who were ready... You know, they were all ready to run out. But you see what the foolish said? I know I've been playing around. I know there's certain sin not purged from my being. I know that there are things I'm still doing that I ain't finished doing yet. So you see, relationship, you ain't going to be able to fake it on the last day. But the wise answered saying, not so, lest there, not, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. So these, this is the time when all that love message and hugging and, you know, brother, we're with you and we're encouraging you. All that stuff is going out the window. It is time to go home. And all those that will be of Christ will be ready for this. And there'll be others going around begging for oil because they don't have any. All right. So they say, hey, and this is why the Bible says, you have to work out your own salvation through fear and trembling. A lot of people sit up in church playing games. But see, everybody's not here or at church for the same purpose. You got some people that want to know Jesus Christ for real. And you got other people here just, man, it's just something to do. It's fun. You know, we can get together, talk about the Lord's word. 
No, if you really want what's here, you need to know Jesus, not me. You need to know Jesus, not this ministry. All right? Because Jesus is your only way in. Hold your thoughts still. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there not be enough for us and you. But go ye rather uh, to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. The Lord didn't say, oh, y'all, come on in. Don't I have 10? He just came for whomever was ready, and he shut the door. You didn't see him looking. Well, what about your sisters? Aren't your friends coming? Lord ain't worried about that. Verse 11. Afterward came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. So what does that tell us? We can't afford to pray. Look at verse 13. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Now that, that is pretty clear. So we've got to stay on point. We've got to stay ready. Mary said, I don't know what Martha's doing and neither do I care. I'm coming before the feet of Jesus that I may know him. What, what point were you going to make? Yeah, about the uh, the lamps. So not only did the oil represent the Holy Spirit, but it says the lamps can also be a representation of the candlestick. So Absolutely. When it said that they trimmed their lamps, and the candlestick is supposed to... Illuminate the shoe bright. Right. And like you said last week with um, Behind the Veil... It's like, how do you know where the shoe bread, the shoe bread is that the lamp is off doing something else? Or <laughs> yeah, candlestick is going off. But you see, these were people that invested time in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And they went out and they told everybody, that's the light unto your lamp. Why is God going to add to our lamps if we're not doing anything? So he wants us to go out there and minister if we are the light and salt of the earth. He said, you don't take a light and hide it under a bushel. You put it up on a hill that all may see. So these people invested in Jesus. They took him serious. But more importantly, they knew him. And for those that weren't ready, they did not know. Mary and Martha. Let's move on. <laughs> all right. So from here, let's go to, uh, let's see an example of this. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. start at verse 1 and it says the vision of Isaiah the son of Amos which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Josiah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah kings of Judah hear O heavens and give ear O earth for the Lord hath spoken I have nourished and brought up children and they have rebelled against me so he's telling them all the lesson but he's brought them up and they rebel. Clearly, these are the children of Israel. Verse 3. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But uh, Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Now, you hear this word know, this word yada, mm -hmm. several times here. All right? Now, he's saying that the ox knows his owner. Why? Because the owner feeds the ox. 
But how can you be fed of the Lord and not know him? I don't want to get too far ahead, but this is what it's about. So Israel, they don't know. Uh, my people doth not consider. So they don't even consider where the source of life is. They're too busy out doing their own thing. Look at verse 4. Our sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity. What did Jesus say? Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. Look at how this comes together. A seed of evildoers, because they walk in the vanity of their minds, overthrown in the wilderness. Children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Mm -hmm. So you see, when we go away backwards, this is how they got overthrown in the wilderness. The children of Israel did not want to step into the promise. They wanted to stay where they were. And if you're not moving forward with Jesus, then you're heading back towards Egypt. All right? The wilderness is just a place for a limited time only before it gets taken away. There are two roads that lead to Jesus, I mean, lead somewhere. The first is a conveyor belt full of progression going forward. The other is a conveyor belt, but instead of, it looks like it's going towards the promised land, but it's turning right back around and you're heading back towards Egypt. Okay, so there's only one way in. Uh, and it says, uh, they provoked the Holy One because they would not believe they'd gone away backwards. Verse 5, why should ye be stricken any more? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the heart is faint. So the Lord is recognizing we've got a problem on our hands. These people won't consider. They won't come. Verse 6. From the sole of the foot even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. So they have no spirit which cleanses us from all unrighteousness, just like those virgins. There were five that built their oil and used it, and you had the other five still walking around with sores, still walking around with things that can hold you back, still attached to things that you shouldn't have because they have no relationship with Jesus Christ. All right, verse 7. Your country is desolate. That's the wilderness. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land... Strangers devour it in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. These strangers are considered a type of demons. If you will not have the Lord Jesus Christ rule your soul, okay, then the enemy will. And it's just that simple. As we advance and we grow in Jesus Christ, he begins to fill us. If we start backing off in our relationship, hanging out in the wilderness of self in our own minds, then the demons will come in because those are the ones that tell you, you need to make it and be big in this life. They entice you with things that you might want to keep you away from Jesus. So it's desolate. This is what a place looks like when God does not rule and there is no relationship with Jesus Christ. The enemy comes in and devours it in your presence and your place is desolate and overthrown by strangers. So if you're the temple of the living God and God doesn't live in it, this is what you have. Verse 8. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. So you see, you have been overtaken because you refuse to let God rule. Verse 9. 
except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. So right away he's talking about this small remnant. Jesus talked about there was few that would find the way. If you had two sisters in one house, there was one that had chosen to sit at the feet of Jesus and the other that hadn't. So we're going to find that this thing comes between family members. Okay, it's not just a thing of, you know, coming to Jesus and, you know, it's a small remnant. You're going to find out how small it actually is because it's going to divide soul from spirit, those who want the Lord and those who don't. You're going to see marriages over this. So this should have been like Sodom and Gomorrah, but the Lord saved the remnant. Verse 10, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. What did Mary do? Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. And what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. And I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. So the Lord is sick of the feast. He's sick of the offerings. He's sick of the bullocks and the goats. He's sick of Martha cleaning up the house while Mary was sitting at his feet. Okay, you see how this comes together? Verse 12, when ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. You, uh, the new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. So right away, no more vain oblations. What was Martha doing? Vain. Trying to impress the Lord with vain offerings. Lord, I'm setting things up. This is going to be a perfect day for you. The Lord doesn't want that. He wanted Martha. So you see how this all ties up? The Lord is sick of all this, trying to put on a show for him. The Lord wants you. <sighs> Verse 14, your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Okay, so while you got everybody in church singing and clapping and hallelujah and doing cartwheels and crying and doing all this stuff, the one thing that the Lord is saying is, if you knew me, you'd be preaching the gospel. Right. If you knew me, you'd spend time with me. Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in all this stuff because even though the membership is growing, sin is still prevalent in the midst. And you know what sets us free? I heard Pastor Price say this, and I was like, amen to that. He said, even if you're preaching things in this Bible that you might be still having trouble with, he said, you know what? Preach against the devil in you and stand with God. Stand against yourself and preach the word that God may cleanse you from iniquity. Because there may be things that, yeah, but I'm not going out preaching. I'm not really doing. Well, stand with the Lord and say that this is what must be done. That, that there may be no iniquity. There may be nothing in you standing against him. That's right. 
Okay, so you know that it's right, and this is what sets you free. But don't compromise just because there's something you're having trouble with. You stand with God's word, and he will set you free. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, when he said that, amen. Why? Because a lot of people won't preach the gospel or won't hear the word of God because there's something in them that cuts deep. It hurts you. So instead of acknowledging this as being true, I'd rather not hear it. And from that, you cannot be set free. Mm -hmm. The closer you draw to Jesus, you're walking into an inferno. And he's burning it off of us that we may be like him. I don't think that when Mary was sitting in Jesus' feet, everything he says she liked. But that's where she chose to sit in order for change to be made. Martha was too busy trying to impress him. All right, so he says, look at verse 16. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do well. Seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. You want to impress the Lord? Let the Lord live in you that you may love your neighbor. And that is all it is. That is all that it goes down to. The Lord can care less about your offerings. He wants you as a body to work through that we may be like him. And the only way we're going to get that is sitting at his feet in humility, receiving direction, the washing of the water by the word that the Bible calls it. And that's why he says, wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings. From before mine eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well. Seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. We're not going to reason while I'm in the promise and you're in the wilderness. He's saying, draw nigh to me, come now, come to me, come at my feet. Let's reason this out. Let's get this together. Okay? Saith the Lord, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. So the Lord wants you, in order to be with him, be at his feet. But you see Martha, again, offering something. Jesus said, you know, all this is nice. And, you know, I appreciate the praise. But one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that one, that good part. What is that part? I want relationship. Can't do it without him. We can't do it without Jesus and relationship with us. Okay, so from here, let's go to, uh, let's see where we want to take this. Let's go to Matthew 15. Matthew 15. Matthew 15, we'll start at verse 1. We'll be here a while. Then came to Jesus uh, scribes and Pharisees, which were at Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? 
for they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But when Jesus, I mean, but he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress and, uh, the commandment of God by your tradition? So you want to ask me some question about who looked right on the outside? Let's talk about what we can get done on the inside. <laughs> Never mind that. I'll answer your question when you answer this. And this is what the Holy Ghost does to us. When we minister to people telling them that, well, weren't you at the bar last night? Aren't you still shacking up with your wife? I mean, with your girlfriend? Aren't you still doing this? So these are things that the Holy Ghost will ask us. We want the appearance of Lord. Why won't they come to you and see that you were good? Never mind that. I got a question for you. Why don't you come to me and stop doing what you're doing? Mm -hmm. So you see, this is how Jesus <laughs> will address things by, you know, letting people know. Look at verse 4. For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and, and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But we say, I mean, but ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift. By whosoever, I mean, by whatsoever, thou mightest be profited uh, by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye uh, made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. So he's talking about this gift, you know, that if you're going to go after the gift and pursue the Lord, man, honoring him, you will be set free. You won't be caught up in tradition. Because this is what's got a lot of people, traditions of their families, traditions of things that they grew up with. The Lord is talking about, yeah, you talking about honor your father and mother. Wait a minute, mom and dad, you better know Jesus Christ. Okay, because I'll honor you to a degree because you're my mom and my dad. But when it comes to knowing Jesus, that's where I'm headed. Exactly. Okay, so this is what he's talking about right here. Making a commandment of God of none effect by your traditions. Verse 7. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And he, oh, so that's all. Oh, no, let's keep going. Verse 10. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, uh, not that, hear and understand, not that which goeth into of the mouth defileth the man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth the man. Because the Bible says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay, so the Lord is talking about working within, not without. This is why a lot of people are caught up, see? But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. That's what we got to step outside of and get to know Jesus on a one-on-one -on -one level. Mary, I believe Martha was older because after all, Martha invited Jesus into the house. Okay, Martha was setting things up. I believe Mary was her younger sister because Martha seemed more sure of herself. She seemed assertive. She seemed like, you know... I'm in charge. This is what's going on. And then she had the audacity to confront the Lord for authority because that's what she was doing. Why is Mary sitting at your feet when she should be helping me? So she was fighting for a little power there, you know, wondering why her sister is not helping her. And the only family that Jesus is interested in is his. Mm -hmm. 
Okay? And we're going to get into that. But this is, again, about Mary and Martha. Martha thought, because that's my little sister, she should be here. The Lord said, I don't care if she's your sister or not. She's where she needs to be with me. You can come if you want, you know, but I'm just letting you know this is where you both need to be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Verse 12. Uh, then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? Okay, so right away, what are the disciples? World conscious. Mm -hmm. Self conscious. They're going to ask Jesus, Well, you did know you offended the, the, um, you offended the Pharisees. You know what Jesus probably says? So what? Well, let's hear what Jesus said. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father have not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into a ditch. That's how Jesus answered that. Okay, I don't care if they were offended. I am the way, the truth, the life. If they were interested in not being offended anymore, they would come for the truth. They're offended because they want to stay where they are, and they want me to be to sign off on it, and I won't do it. He could have said, Mary, go help your sister. That's what a loving sister would do. But no, he came for one reason, to preach the gospel and be the truth, and Mary chose that good part. Exactly. Verse 15, Then answered Jesus and said unto him, Declare us... A Declare unto us this parable. I mean, Peter said to Peter said, declare this parable. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do not ye understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draw? Like in other words, you know, the toilet or, you know, whatever. Waste. Verse um, 18. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. And they defile the man. So he's telling man, don't don't tell me about the the Pharisees' feelings. They got a choice to come here and hear just like everybody else. But what they said is what came out of their hearts. They were self-righteous asking about some unwashing hands instead of them being sanctified from the inside out to pursue Jesus. They were trying to one-up Jesus. Martha was trying to one-up Jesus. Lord, my sister's sitting at your feet doing nothing. I'm trying to work for you so that you may see that I'm righteous. You see how this thing comes together? By the time we are done with this, I will assure you, you will be tired of hearing of Mary and Martha. Yes, sir. That also goes along with the, uh, instead of trying to be righteous, be righteous. Exactly. And that's what Martha was trying to do. She was trying to have the appearance of righteousness, but Mary was righteous. Exactly. Mary and Martha, Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau. This thing just continuously goes. It's always going to be some type of thing going on in the family. Exactly. This thing cuts deep. So Jesus didn't spare Peter's feelings. Are you, are you also without understanding? Verse 19. For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man. Martha was even borderline blasphemy, mm -hmm. you know, telling the Lord what he should do. 
But this is what I'm saying. She thought that she was doing a good work. The Lord wasn't the least bit interested. But he was gentle in his approach. Martha, Martha, you are worried and concerned about many things. But one thing is needful. So he was urging her to do the same thing Mary was. Man, get at my feet. Right. And that is the mercy and love of God. He didn't jump up. Who are you talking to? <laughs> you know, well, I'll never eat here again because I understand how you people are. That's not what he did. He offered her the same thing mm -hmm. that Mary chose. Exactly. All right. These are the, uh, all right, verse 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Okay, so this is a woman of Canaan. All right, the children of Israel are not even supposed to consort with them, but this was a woman of the world that came and called him son of David and believed that Jesus would save her daughter from a devil. Mm -hmm. Verse 23, but he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. See, the disciples go extra. You know, Jesus already went to a point where he just, he's ignoring her. He heard her, but he's not saying anything for the time. But the disciples want to go and grab her and bind her up and take her up. They got to understand what Jesus was doing. Verse 24, but he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then, then, she, then came she and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. I mean, so right away she called him. She called him Lord. She didn't care that he pretty much insulted her by saying, I came for Israel, not for you peons. And I'm going to tell you why Jesus really did say this. He may not have used the word peons, but he's going to explain what he meant. And he wasn't talking about a particular people. He was talking about those who wouldn't believe. Now, we understand Gentiles and heathens. The true meaning of heathen is unteachable. You know, you're pretty much without God's laws, statutes, and commandments. You're like an animal. Mm -hmm. You live like men do, but you don't live with the ways of the Lord. She said, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. So what was he calling her? A dog. Mm -hmm. He was saying, not for your people, only for mine. See, Jesus knows what he's doing here because this woman, one called him Lord she called him son of David, and she believed that he would help her child. Verse 27, and she said, truth. So she took what the Lord had to say and embraced it. But nevertheless, you're going to help me with my daughter. <laughs> I didn't come all the way across Canaan to come and see you, just to have you ignore me. Mm -hmm. you, you are going to see me. I'm here for that reason and that reason alone. She said, it's truth. Lord, she called him Lord again. Not, you know, you insulted me. You hurt my feelings. I don't appreciate what you did. I don't want anything to do with you. She said, it's true. We're dogs because you're righteous. Lord, I, that's beautiful. Lord, she's still there. Mm -hmm. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Now that's wisdom. She said, okay, I'll be a dog, but I want to sit at your feet under the table and give me a few crumbs if you can, Lord Jesus. This was beautiful. 
And he said, Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. This is a beautiful thing to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ and to have him do it. He knew what he was doing. You're a Canaanite. Are you just here for your daughter or do you really believe I am Lord? Do you really believe in me? Because it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. Mary believed. Okay, yeah, Jesus is our guest. And you're going to find out Jesus was a close friend of the family because their brother was Lazarus. He was a close friend of the family. But Mary wasn't looking at it. Oh, it's Jesus coming over. So let's cook a meal. Let's sit around and talk. Man, when Mary knew that Jesus was here, she knew that he was Lord. Mary knew him as Savior. There's a difference. Mary, I mean, Martha um, called him, you know, Mary saw him as Savior. Mary, Martha saw Jesus as Savior. Mary saw Jesus as Lord. Not only am I going to cook a meal for you or be a part of you, I'm at your feet. You know, Martha's trying to impress you. Like, well, come on in the house. And Martha forgot her manners because they were so close. She's barking at the Lord, you know? Let's move on. All right, so from here we'll go to um, Luke 16, and we'll start at verse 13. And I can't stay here because we got to finish up the second half and get it over with. So I'm going to run through this quick. Luke 16, we'll start at verse 13, and it says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So Mary, uh, Martha may not have been after mammon, but she was after some sort of praise. And when you look at this, I don't know if Martha took heed to the Lord's words. The Bible never says. But the point is, is that, you know, the Lord is like, you can't serve too. You either want to impress me and, and, and know about me, or you want to know me. Do you want to be in or you want to be out? Verse 14, and the Pharisees also who were covetous, they were greedy, heard all these things and they derided him. And he said unto them, um, oh, he said unto them, ye are they which justify yourselves before men. But God knoweth your hearts, for they which, for that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. So don't let this shoot by us. Mm -hmm. He said that ye are they which justify yourselves before men. So Martha was, you know, I hate to keep picking on old Martha, but the point is, is she was out doing things before men. Now, if anybody had heard this story void of what Jesus Christ said or understood what he meant, you would say, no, Martha is in the right. She started working. Mary was working with her. It is rude to leave someone and to be lazy and to do nothing. That depends on who your guest is. Mm -hmm. Because if your guest is the king of kings, you need to be sitting at his feet. Okay, so this is what Martha did. You know, justify yourselves before men, thinking that Jesus was like a man in some ways. But God knoweth your hearts. So you don't think Jesus knew what was in Martha's heart? 
Some people would say that which is highly esteemed among men, which is being kind to your guest, is abomination before the sight of the Lord. Why? Because this is how we justify ourselves even at work, even in the world. Lord knows I've got to work. I'm pulling down this money because I've got to provide for my family. But you made no time for him. So that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination. You can even point to these holidays. All of these holidays, what did he call them? Vain traditions. That's what he called them, didn't he? Mm -hmm. and, and Jeremiah 10, that they were vain works. These are what the Gentiles do after the imagination of their minds. These things have got nothing to do with Jesus. And I dare anybody called Christmas, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Easter, any of these holidays, something of Jesus, knowing that you're doing this for you. You don't even think of him on these days. Let's be realistic. Yep. You think about how much food you're going to eat, what costume you're going to buy, and most likely it'll be satanic, okay? Because the Bible tells you even if you got a Jesus costume, you don't know what Jesus looks like. Blasphemy. Exactly. All right, you're making an imagination of what you think he is. These things have nothing to do with the Lord. But let me continue. Verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away uh, from her husband committeth adultery. There was a certain... All right, so all right, I made that point. The point I'm making here is, is that he said... Those that want to be in the kingdom will press in. What Mary was doing was pressing in. She was getting in. She didn't just want Jesus in the house. She wanted to be at the feet of Jesus. I hate to keep stressing this, but this is how important Mary and Martha are. <laughs> All right. So it says, look at verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. So he impressed people. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. So why do you think Lazarus was at this guy's gate? He was looking for help, mm -hmm. looking for a handout, looking for support, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So this guy was in bad shape. Okay, but here he was at the feet of a rich man he thought was going to help him. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. So you see, rich or poor, they both die. Where do we need? Jesus Christ to live forever. That's right. And in hell, okay, they were carried, all right, they were buried. And in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar <laughs> off, and Lazarus in his bosom. So, you know, things ain't so que-sera-sera now, huh? <laughs> now he's in hell. This is the real story. He was once walking around as a prince and, you know, impressing people and looking good on the, on the outside. Mm -hmm. All right, Lazarus was good on the inside. So the Lord said, Lazarus, worry no more. You weren't living for this life. We're going to take you and fly you away, you know, first class into Abraham's bosom. Now you got Lazarus in there and just relaxed, stretched out in the sun, and got a care in the world. 
this guy's in hell. And I mean, this situation just got hot. No pun intended. All right, so it says, this guy's in hell, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the, uh, dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So this rich man who wanted everything to himself, a man in control in society, wants the very person he ignored to come and help him out to dip water and, and cool his tongue. You know, typical. Verse 24, 25. Uh, but Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. So Lazarus was seeking, you can say Lazarus was a guy that was seeking after the Lord. That's what I really want to say. All right, because he was poor, he was whatever, he lived not according to the system, but he was someone that was, you know, looking to be taken care of. So the Lord took care of Lazarus. You're not trying to live here and be, you know, taken care of. You're trusting in me. Mm -hmm. So Lazarus is okay and he is tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. So there is a great gulf fixed between Lazarus, uh, where, where the uh, Abraham's bosom is, and hell. Mm -hmm. And this is the great gulf that is between Martha and Mary. The great gulf that is between those who believe and those who don't. And this gulf is getting wider and it's going out farther because you're going to see it cut families in half. Okay, there's going to come a point. Don't you think a gulf was fixed between the five wise virgins and the five foolish? This is what it's all about. All right, so anyway, where am I, 27? Yes. yes. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. So now he wants help for his family. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them uh, from the dead, they will repent. So now he wants the Lord to help. Abraham is saying, hey, you've got the Lord. Okay, because Moses talked about the Lord and the prophets prophesy of the Lord. If you don't believe that, there is no help for you. So this is what people need to understand in the importance of Jesus Christ. If he is the way, the truth, and the life, you need to hear him. Don't talk to me about your family members or your mother or father that's a Muslim or you got friends in this that are Catholic and that they believe this and you want me to bend the gospel and want me to believe that no, everyone is getting in, you know, because of if you would just give them a chance. God gives us all chance. Let God determine who goes where. You keep yourself at the feet of Jesus. We don't know what the Lord may do concerning certain circumstances or what's in a person's heart. But one thing we do know is we need to be at his feet. Then he said, you know, unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, 
If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So he's making it clear that you're not going to get any signs other than knowing the truth in Jesus. You can choose to believe it or reject it, but you've got to hear the word of God. All right, so for me, I think we're going to move on because, uh, no, let's go to John 14, and then we're going to go right into the second part, which is going to be way shorter. So I say. <laughs> Seems like we always end up here one way or another. John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. This is um, John 14 and 1. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come, I will come again and receive you. Like he did the virgins. Unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and um, the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can uh, we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. So what is he talking about? There's that word know again. Mm -hmm. Jesus said to Thomas, how can you ask me such questions? You've been with me all this time. If you knew me, then you would know that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, so this is why, this is why Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha couldn't figure it out. Verse 8. Philip saith unto him, Lord, shew us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, Shew us the Father? Believe thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father." And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. But first, you got to be in him. You see what I'm saying? You got to be in him. So Mary understood, if I want to be in, I need to be all the way in. So he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Uh, verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that ye may abide uh, with that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for ye dwell with you, I mean for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. 
Now, if the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, the only way to receive the Holy Spirit is to know the Lord, Jesus Christ. This is why he says, knoweth him. He says it uh, twice here, I believe. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him, but ye know him. You see what I'm saying? Uh, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So in order to know with Jesus, or to have the Spirit, which gives you a, a salvation of power, being spirit to spirit with the Lord, we have to know Jesus Christ. We cannot know about Jesus Christ, because all we'll have is the dead letter, but not the Spirit. Okay, so from here, we're going to move on to the second part. Let's go to John 12 and verse 1. So these are two different accounts of the story. But we're going to see that there is more to this story than what we, um, what we knew before. All right. So it was John 12 and 1, and it says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. So you see, this is the second half. This is John 12 and verse 1. But we notice in here, Lazarus was just raised from the dead in the last chapter. So now they're having a celebration concerning the Lord. Remember, Mary and Martha weeped because Lazarus was dead. And Jesus was so moved by the weeping that he, brought, he, he, he raised Lazarus from the dead. So now they're all sitting here at the table. So you get the sense that Martha wanted to impress the Lord by that which was done. So Mary took a different approach. Martha said, man, he raised my son or my brother or whomever Lazarus was to them. I can't remember all of him, but he's there. But yet and still, you know, they're excited about this, so they want to do something for the Lord. So what is Martha doing? Her solemn feast and her, and her assemblies, her vain oblations, which is nothing wrong with being thankful. But the Lord didn't tell Martha to come here, but he wasn't going to take from Mary what was what. But Martha asked, and the Lord said, well, this is what your sister Mary is doing. Yep. All right, so Martha, being pleased at what the Lord did, she wanted to impress him. The Lord wanted Martha. All right, so look at verse 3. Then took Mary a pound of ointment and a spikenard, of spike of spikenard uh, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. So we understand Mary wasn't just at Jesus' feet. Mary was also anointing Jesus' feet with oil, getting him ready for his crucifixion. So you see, that was also needful. That Mary was giving the Lord what he needed, but Mary was also showing humility. Lord, I, I don't have, I'll not, I'm not going to put on a big supper for you. I'm going to give you what I have. And she took her very hair and wiped his feet with the ointment. Mm -hmm. What a beautiful thing. Look at verse 4. Then saith uh, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Okay, so he's missing the point. See, but he's got the mentality of Martha. Mm -hmm. He saw this work going on. Wait a minute, we could sell this 
and give it to the poor. That would be a work of the Lord. But he's missing the relationship of how much you consider the Lord. Now, Iscariot wanted to look good, I guess, by, you know, I'm doing work for you. So, see, I didn't take the money and keep it for self. I gave it to the poor. But, see, they're, they're not understanding that Mary is seeking relationship. All right, so it says, verse 6, This uh, he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And had a bag and bear what was put therein. So you can't believe everything people say. Mm -hmm. Jesus said there'd be false prophets among you. So he didn't care for the poor. And this is what people are doing. You give to me and I'll give to you. Creflo Dollar. But what does Creflo care? Not for the poor. Because if Creflo cared for the poor. And this thing is really about giving so you receive. Then spill it back to the people. And let's play this game of us all being rich and wealthy and powerful. So Creflo doesn't believe his own teachings. Creflo gives, or he gives to self, and they give to Creflo. Now you tell me how that adds up. And you believe that Creflo is giving the money to the Lord? What is the Lord going to do with your money in heaven? Buy more golden sandals? What is he going to do? Work on building other things? He doesn't need it. So that's a false gospel. But look at what Judas saw an opportunity that he may dig in and get what he wants out of the deal. Exactly. He's a thief. You're hearing the noble words, noble sentiments of a thief. And that's what you're hearing in these churches that don't care anything about the people of God. They don't want you knowing Jesus because if you know Jesus and you get built up in Jesus, then they are nothing. And they want to stay somebody so they'll hide the truth and unrighteousness so you will never have a relationship. Yeah, go ahead. What does he say about um, he's the true shepherd, uh, about the thieves and robbers that come in? Uh, that's John 10. Yeah. When he's talking, well, he's saying that the same thing, very the very same thing here about Judas. Uh-huh. Calling him a thief and a robber. A thief and a robber. He was a thief. You know, this is something. But he's trying to be noble, just like some of these pastors are doing in the church. They don't want you. They want your money. They need to stay afloat. And these are things that we need to realize. It's not the appearance of looking good. It's actually being righteous. Let's go to Matthew 6. And believe it or not, we don't have much longer. Matthew 6, and we'll start at verse 24. All right, Matthew 6 and 24, here we hear it again. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, we covered that. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? So you see... The Lord is trying to take their eyes off of their self-conscious, world-conscious minds and turn them on to him. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is what this is about. So this is why he's, he's trying to gather them in Egypt and in the wilderness to bring them unto the spirit. Verse 26, behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather in into barns. 
yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? So, you know, seeking a relationship with the Lord, he's going to take care of this. Look at 27. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, or wherewithal um, uh, shall ye uh, be clothed. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. So, you see, this is where they, they get it backwards. There's nothing wrong with doing work for the Lord. Jesus said many will say they work and then we do all these things. They have no relationship. So the Lord is saying the Gentiles think like this. The Gentiles want to make all they can, do all they can for self. And then if there's a little time for God, maybe. If, if I can fit it in, then I'll make some time for him. So he's saying that this is how the Gentiles walk. Like Ephesians says, in the vanity of their minds. But look at this. Verse 33, this is it. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So this is exactly what Mary was doing, seeking the kingdom, seeking the Lord, the relationship, because that's what gets you in, and his righteousness, and all those things will be added. So you won't have to be like Martha setting tables trying to be important and trying to impress. You can be like Mary, full of righteousness, not the appearance of being righteous. And how you know that Martha wasn't righteous is this. She wanted the Lord to like what she was doing and not pay attention to him. And then had the nerve to get mad and then tell him, don't you even care? So where was the righteousness? Do righteous people talk to their Lord that way? No. So there was no righteousness in Martha. She might have been grateful, but there was the appearance of being righteous was more important to her than relationship. Mm -hmm. Next. <laughs> Let's go to Luke 4 and we'll start at verse 1. Anyone wants to add anything, they can. But see, that's what was in Martha. Even though she might have been grateful. But what was in her was the frustration and the agitation towards the Lord to stop her party. She wanted to have her thing going. And little Lazarus there at the table watching on, seeing everything that was going on there. <laughs> All right. All right, Luke 4 and 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So where did the Spirit take Jesus? Into the wilderness to work it out in the soul. Mm -hmm. Being 40 days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this that they be made, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him and said, It is written, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. 
Okay, so the word of God is more important than the bread. Just like we read in Matthew 6, knowing this word and becoming the word and having a relationship with the living word is what you live on, mm -hmm. not by anything else. So you guys know this story at the end of this. Jesus came in power of the spirit and began to do the works of God. Okay, so we're not relying on carnal, physical things and relationships to walk with Jesus. What we're looking forward to is relationship with him that he may take care of all our needs. That's better than a pot of gold. That's better than endless treasure because his treasure truly is endless. Our treasure, yeah, you can dig up all the gold in this world, but guess what? When you die, that treasure ain't coming with you. So the treasure that God stores up for us is timeless. It goes on and on. So this is what Mary was seeking, and Martha wasn't. All right, so from here, let's move on. Uh, let's go to John 6 and 63. something real quick it is i mean this really just boils down and, and you see it in this a topic of martha and mary is that if we're not careful because the pharisees were always religious and what did the pharisees do and the sadducees they always tried to come against jesus christ always because they knew that how they were living was religious nonsense i guess you could say it was always of their works and what did he say you know, you're, you're sepulchers. Mm -hmm. You know, whited sepulchers, which means you're empty tombs. So, exactly. No life full of dead works right. having nothing to do with God's spirit. Mm -hmm. That was a great uh, scripture, too. But anyway, Jesus knew. Look at verse 61. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? As a matter of fact, we're going to have to back it up because I'm seeing something here that's going to make more sense. All right, now remember, look at verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So what is Jesus talking about? His own sacrifice, but being the bread of life, us feeding from him. All right, now he's going to take it a little deeper. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at, that last, at the last day. Mm -hmm. So the point he's making clear is, you need relationship. To eat the flesh of Jesus and drink the blood of Jesus is to grow Jesus Christ in you. Mm -hmm. All right? That's why Jesus said, I will make my abode in him. If you draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you. You don't want to just know about Jesus. You want Jesus Christ formed in you. That's right. All right? Then he says in verse 55, see, and that's who gets raised on the last day. 
55. For my flesh is meat indeed. So that's all the food you need. Mm -hmm. And my blood is drink indeed. That's the word of God. He or believing in the sacrifice that Jesus makes. And then there is the word of God, which is the flesh. So this is what we feed on. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. So if you got Jesus grown in you, you're going to be led by Jesus Christ in you. 58. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? So these are the same people that Jesus fed the mass of 4,000. They were with him. He fed them. They came for food. He said, Okay, I, I granted you guys food. Now I'm talking relationship. You get into me, all your needs are met. And there, this is a hard saying. So it wasn't hard when you were hungry and you were out there looking for whatever you wanted. And I, I put food on your table. But now I'm asking that you draw closer, that I become the true vine in your life. I become the lifeline that you need in order for you to progress and have your cup never empty. But that's a hard saying. So it's okay to take from me, but you don't want to know me. You know how rude that would be if someone did that to you? I'm getting everything I can from you, but I don't want you. How would you feel? Look at verse 59. Is that 59? Of verse 60, right? 61. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Look at what Jesus is telling them. Man, so, all right, you're offended by this. But if you saw me ascend into heaven, knowing that you may be a part of that, would it not be worth it? Would not seeking a relationship with me. See, Jesus didn't just want 12 disciples. He wanted more. But you see, there were only 12 in his government, which was complete, that stayed with him. But he was telling them, wouldn't it be worth it if you could just come? It could have even been 40. Who knows? Mm -hmm. It could have been some number of 144. Who knows what the Lord was trying to do, but how many people believed. Mm -hmm. But here's the point. He's trying to tell them, man, wouldn't it be worth it if you can see this? It's your prophecy. Exactly. Verse 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. Mm -hmm. Get your eyes focused on me, Martha, and not in the kitchen what you can do for me. Be like Mary. All right. So it says, the flesh profit of nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore... Said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. John 6.66, this occurs, and you can pretty much say they received the mark. 
Because if you walk away from Jesus, how do you come back? That means your allegiance is to something else. I love this world. I love the wilderness. It wasn't so bad in Egypt after all. At least they fed me, even though I was a slave. Verse 68. I love Peter. Or 67, I'm sorry. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Uh, then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, mm -hmm. and we believe that thou and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the Living God. Don't you think Mary figured this out? Mm -hmm. That's why she was at his feet. I don't know if Martha turned away or not, so I can't really say anything on that. But you know, before I forget, let's go to Hebrews four, and we're gonna um, start at verse twelve. Start at verse 11. And it says, Hebrews 4 and 11, Let us labor therefore and enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Did we not just read this? Yep. About in the beginning, an example to read why other people messed up so that we may go into the promise. So he says, you know, well, let's read that again. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into the rest. That's what Mary was laboring. They were both laboring. One was laboring to know him. The other was laboring to impress him. Mm -hmm. All right. Lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing as under of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner and the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's why when Jesus told them, my words are spirit and they are life, they walked away. That's why Mary was sitting to hear the word of Jesus and Martha was up doing something else. You see how it had divided between soul and spirit? One was into themselves, the other was into God. And this sword, like I said, and this gulf, it's going to cut much farther. But the point is, is Jesus knew the intents of those. Didn't it say from the beginning that he knew which ones would not believe? This is the same thing that we're dealing with. This is what the word of God does. It reveals to you that which you need to cut off the excess fat that we may have the lean meat of Jesus Christ. Let's move on. I just wanted to bring up that point real quick because I thought it was relevant. <laughs> well, and... Uh you know, I know we've talked about this before, but it seems relevant about the, the rich young man. Exactly. Where he asked Christ, what did he need to do? And he said, you know, he was, you know, honor thy father and thy mother and, you know, mm -hmm. commit not adultery or something. And then he's like, well, I'm, I've been doing these since my youth. Exactly. And he said, well, great. Now go sell all your riches. And, and be with me. Yeah. yeah, be with me. And he walked away, right. see? Relationship is what people stray away from because you know in order to walk with Jesus, you're going to have to lose something. That's what we're all fighting. We need to get over it. Mm -hmm. He is the only way. Hebrews 2 and 1. Hebrews 2, chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, 
lest at any time we should let them slip. So we need to be with him, hearing the instruction from the Lord. Verse 2, For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast in every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense or reward. So if the angels didn't get by with what they did in their dirt, don't think that you are too. Verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord? and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also, bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. So the Lord is making clear, we can't neglect the salvation of the angels who did not take heed to the word of God met therein, don't you think that you can live without God's word? God's word is your salvation, and it brings you into deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. So that is necessary for walking with him. All right, so we're going to give a, um, let's go to 1 John, as I want to stay back here now. So let's go to 1 John 2, and we'll start at verse 16. Am I making sense? Anybody have any questions? Because, I mean, I don't want to lose anybody. But it also shows how easy, if we're not careful um, in having our relationship with the Lord, it shows how easily we can fall into religion simply because someone, and I don't want to get ahead of what I'm going to be speaking on, but someone is wanting to come to the Lord, and simply because they're not as far in their relationship as we are, and trying to help them and encourage them. And they might be a little rough around the edges with some of the things that they do because they don't know Jesus Christ. And so our walk with the Lord is that much stronger than theirs, but instead of beating them over the head or saying, you know, you need to fast this way or you need to do things this way, we should be encouraging them, encouraging them in their walk. That's right. You know? That's exactly right. And so you look at First uh, John 16 and verse 1, and it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, I mean the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. So if you lust, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, got nothing to do with God. Those things are of the devil, and this is his kingdom. Let's say First John two, and verse sixteen. Oh, well, are you there? Are y'all both off? You said sixteen. Sorry, First John two and sixteen. We'll start at fifteen. Then, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Mm -hmm. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of um, God abideth forever. Okay, so what we need to understand is what's holding us back from the Lord is in the next... Well, that's the attacks of the enemy, but this is the spirit behind the attacks. Look at 18. Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist, that singular, shall come. 
Even now are there many antichrists, whereby we know it's the last time. Okay, so a lot of the works that we do will turn us away from the Lord if they're not governed by the Spirit of God. Anything that is not of the Spirit of God is of Satan, and that includes your job. That includes anything you're doing that is not led by the Spirit of God is only going to pull you away from God. You know, that's something that we've got to recognize because Martha really felt like she was doing a good thing. Martha was doing a good thing. What was it Martha doing? A God thing. A God thing. So these are the things that are necessary because the tree of knowledge of good and evil, yeah, it had some good on it and you had some independence, but you see, the tree of life was needful, like sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's what was needful is to live, not to know a bunch of stuff. That's not enough. All right, we're going to compare that with 2 Peter chapter 3, and we'll start at verse 10. This is short. That's back one book. All right, 2 Peter 3 and verse 10, and it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Okay, so you'll no longer be able to use your job as an excuse because it's going to be liquid. Okay, all these things that we put so much stock in, if it can burn, it's just not that important. Okay, we want to invest and store up our treasures in heavenly places like Jesus Christ said. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, uh, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may, found, that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. So we want to be able to be with him so we don't fall off track. I do want to make two or three quick examples and then we're going to, um, I'm going to conclude from there. Okay, so from here, let's go to Matthew 10 and verse 32. We are about done. Is what people better understand. Mm -hmm. God is not concerned with blood relations. It's great if they're all blood related and they come. But, you know, in the end, that's why he said that we would be as the angels. Because all we're going to be doing is one-to-one -one with God. Mm -hmm. It ain't going to be who your mom is. Your mom's going to be your sister. Your brother is going to be your brother. You know, in, in the Lord, you're not going to know them. You know, they're not going to be like, oh, well, there's my mom over there, Lord. Y'all want to take a picture together? Or You're not even going to remember that. The whole point is going to be, we're going to all be one with Christ Jesus. All right, so Matthew 10 and 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. 
But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Could this be the sword that was in Hebrews 4 that divides soul and spirit yes. and is a discerner of the intents of the heart? Before the living word, verse 35, for I am come to set a man at variance against his father and a daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foe shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Now that's the that is clear. Mm -hmm. The Lord is making it clear that we've got to be on his side. This is not a blood thing. Alright? We would go to Luke where it says, If you don't hate father and mother more than me, you know, you're not worthy of me. He's not saying hate, hate. But he's saying, man, they can't mean more to you than I. Are you kidding? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm the lifeline here. They may have another spirit. They may lead you off course. And see, it's not God not being affectionate. God didn't want to cause disparity between Mary and Martha. He didn't want to cause contention. That's why he spoke to Martha. You need to be at my feet too. You need to get to know me, Martha. Mary is trying to know me. This is important. But see, Jesus is looking at the bigger picture. He's not seeing your mother and your father. He's seeing the spirit that has them bound. And then it's that that will fight against him. Those who have not forsaken the world in whom the devil it belongs to. See, God sees the greater thing. If you love the world, you can't love him. Not because he doesn't want you to have fun, but he's looking at who is the CEO overall. It's the devil's kingdom. It's been his kingdom since Adam gave it to him. Adam gave him a bill of sale, and it was his from that point on. So God is looking at the bigger picture. So these words may seem harsh, but you've got to see things in the spirit as he sees it. And that's why Jesus told Martha, you know, Martha, <laughs> Mary is choosing that good thing. You know, it would be wise for you to come. But I'm not telling her to leave me to help you because the way that you're going is unprofitable. The way that I'm going is towards, the way she's going is towards eternal life. She wants to be with me, not impress me. Mm -hmm. Matthew 12. The end of Matthew 12. Well, toward the end. Yeah. We'll start at verse uh, 46. Matthew 12 and 46. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without desiring to speak to him. So they weren't desiring to speak to Jesus. Mary and all of them were there just, you know, watching. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to speak to thee. You know, you often wonder if they were serving the Lord. You also wonder if Jesus' brother and his mother, they were there, but why did he make a difference between them and whomever? Is it possible that they could have been in the wilderness watching Jesus in the spirit? Mm -hmm. It makes you wonder because they're there and he's about to make a comparison. Mm -hmm. Then one said unto him, Behold, 
Thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to speak to thee. So then why are you telling me? Because, you see, we get so caught up in this cutesy thing of, oh, there's your family and this and that. But the Lord is like, man, I'm not, I'm not out here for that. I'm out here to preach the word. 48. But he answered and said unto him that told him, who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. So he's making it clear. This is all he's concerned about is relationship with him and doing his will. Exactly. All right. So from here, we're going to conclude. Let's go to Revelation 14, and I am done. I promise. <laughs> All right, Revelation 14 and 1, and it says, you there? Everybody there? Mm -hmm. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him in 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as a voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping um, with their harps. And they sung and it were a new as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the four I mean and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. You know, brand new understanding. No man could learn that song but the hundred and forty four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. So what did the 144,000 have that they could sing this song? The Holy Spirit. Relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. He redeemed them from the earth. So they tasted the Lord and saw how good he is. And only those who have forsaken the world, who have forsaken the wilderness, and are accepting relationship and embracing it with Jesus can sing this song of praise. Hold where you are. I forgot one point, but I just want to make this up. Hold where you are. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Only those who have relationship can tell you the Lord is good. Mm -hmm. As we're about to read. If I can get there. 1 Corinthians 12 and 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts. Brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. So he's letting you know what the problem is, is why you can't have a relationship and have these spiritual gifts. You, at one point, you were with the Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols. Things like that. TV, what we desire. So this is where you were led. Look at three. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. Why? Because you know him. And that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost, because you don't know him. You see that difference? If you don't know him, you can't pretend to know him. You know about him. He is your Lord when you do what he says. 
but no man who is of the Spirit would ever call Jesus a curse or would ever jump up like Martha did, you know, questioning the Lord and, you know, getting loud with him in her house. She didn't understand. Mary understood even Lord. That's why she took that ointment. She might not have had anything to wipe with. She used her hair. Humble before the Lord. But you see, if you don't know him, he's not your Lord. But if you know him, he is. Mm -hmm. If you don't know him, you will call him a curse because you feel like God can do wrong. Our God can do no wrong. Jesus Christ does no wrong. Exactly. God makes no error or mistakes. No matter what we understand so far, he is always right. And he is always holy. He is always righteous. He is the true and living God. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to bring up that point real quick. You can't call him Lord until, the, until you are following the Spirit. That goes for me and that goes for anyone else. So these people know a new song because they have learned to love the Lord and know him redeemed from the earth and only they can sing it. Exactly. Verse 4. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. They were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. This is a mouthful. All right, you got the virgins there. Could they be the wise ones? Yes. They didn't defile themselves with women, meaning like they stayed from sin. They did everything righteous within God. Okay, and then it says, uh, which followeth whithersoever he goeth. So if the Lord goes into the promised land, that's where you're going. Mm -hmm. Don't you think Mary was doing that? Mm -hmm. She was following him wherever he was. Not trying to impress him. Verse 5, and in their mouth was found no guile, for they were without fault before the throne of God. Now this is funny. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 said, no man called the Jesus Christ accursed, no man of the spirit can call him a curse. There's no guile in your mouth when you're of the spirit. You see how this all comes together? But it is seeking relationship with him that can make you truly born again so that you can, we can live righteous. All right, so look at verse 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having an everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. For the hour is his judgment is the hour of his for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. And all of that is Jesus, the creator of all things. All of this is about worshiping him. Fear the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Why a lot of us don't do what he says? Because we don't fear him. Mm -hmm. A healthy dose of fear or fearing the Lord is healthy. It is essential to our growth. Verse 8. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of her wine of the wrath of her fornication. So you see, even this Babylon, even this world that we put all our stock in versus Jesus it's going to be thrown down. Okay, so the only thing you're going to have is Jesus. Nothing is going to last. Verse 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead and or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, 
which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So it's telling him here, who those who receive the mark, what is it? The name of the beast or the number of his name. So are you like the beast? Is Christ your head or if the world's your head? If the world's your head, then the devil is your head, which makes you a beast. Mm -hmm. Do you identify with the beast? Do you do what the beast does? Because if you do what the beast does, you cannot walk with God. So that's the point that he's making here. And they were, hey, fiery indignation. Man, not for me. Verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. You don't want to identify with anything, and the only way, anything that is not of God, because anything that is not of God is of Satan. So we need to have a relationship with him and be in him. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I want to say amen to that. The relationship with him is what's going to take us through this whole thing. But see, you don't want to be Martha, the appearance of being righteous. You don't want to be Martha, working her way to salvation, void of a relationship. Because, see, the having the Spirit or having faith will lead unto good works. But you first must have the faith. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we want to be Mary and not Martha. So hopefully, you know, that's the study tonight. But hopefully everyone understands a little bit better what this is about. And it's not just Mary and Martha. They were the first, well, they were not the first to come along. They were probably the most recent toward the end. Well, actually, at the end, you've got those who receive the mark of God and those who receive the mark of the beast. But this thing has been going on from Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau, Isaac and Ishmael. It goes on and on and on. So we need a relationship with the Lord to be like him, to be truly born again and not of the beast. That's right. You want Mary, not Martha. So Sarah can come up and present, and after that, Melissa's going to pray out. So let's have that. I'll have everyone go to Jonah chapter 4. So a little bit of introduction into Jonah is, well, everyone's getting there. Um, we all know about Jonah and the well and how he was commanded of God to go into Nineveh and to preach to them. But instead of doing that, he ran and he headed toward Tarshish. And ended up in Joppa. And then from there he sailed on a ship. And during that time the wind was very great and the storm was very great. And it woke Jonah up and he told the man that you know he was at fault. That he tried to run, run away from God. And he said that the only thing that would save them is that if, he cast, if they were to cast him into the ocean. And so they did and it calmed down the sea. And during that time uh, you know a great fish we presume a whale came and swallowed up Jonah for three days. And now for those three days, while he was in the belly of the whale, he prayed that, um, 
you know, the, the Lord would forgive him, and, and he did, and then the well spit him up, and Jonah went and preached into Nineveh, and he did that, you know, while he was there, and it took him a while to get there, but there's a second half to that story that most people don't really grasp, and we're going to get into that, we're going to look at this, that when he went into the city, what happened here, so actually we're going to look at uh, chapter 3, let's look at verse 6, real quick. Forward came unto the king of Nineveh, so Jonah went and he talked to the king of Nineveh, and he arose up from his throne, and he sit, and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herb or flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from their violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works. So, another thing that we realize here in the first half of in, in Jonah chapter 1 and even in Jonah chapter 3 was is that if Nineveh had not turned from their evil ways, that God was going to judge them and punish them. So, um, but because they were so adamant about repentance before the Lord, they were willing to sacrifice anything. Even if it didn't appear, and this is the point I was getting at, even if it didn't appear uh, righteous in Jonah's eyes, that didn't matter. It was the fact that they were willing to repent at any cost, so that way they would not be judged of God in the manner that he was going to judge them. Verse 10, and God saw their works, that they turned from their evil ways. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Alright, so let's now start in verse four or chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Why was he very angry? Verse 2, And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying? When I was yet in my country, therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness and repentance, and repentance thee of the evil. So Jonah here does not understand that these people, and in a sense, Jonah has a religious mindset right here. Because in, he, these people were so repented before God that they were willing to cover themselves their cattle their herbs and fast before the Lord you know and he may have said look Lord look at what they're doing they're even covering their cattle they're covering their herbs they don't understand what you, you know what your ways are so why I mean didn't I say this from the beginning God that this would happen the audacity of Jonah <laughs> verse 3 therefore now O Lord yeah, therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Live. Then said the Lord, Dost thou well to be angry? Or is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth 
and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. So instead of Jonah being happy or joyful in the Lord that this people repented, he wanted to go outside and see what would happen. So remember in uh, with King David, what happened? Nathan the prophet came in, he told him what was going to happen, and then he left. He went off. Here, instead of Jonah going on and being used by the Lord, he sat outside the city. He wanted to see a show. He wanted to see if God would judge this people or not. But God had already told, and you know, he had already said that he was not going to uh, destroy this people because of their repentance. And it was because of how they repented. They repented and humbled themselves just like the Canaanite woman. You know, she was, uh, the Lord healed her daughter because of her faith, because she made herself so low, it did not matter what it would take that he that she was there for a purpose. The Ninevites did the exact same thing. They weren't taking any chances. Okay, verse six. And the Lord made, and the Lord God prepared a ground and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad for the ground. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the ground that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did rise that God prepared a vehement east wind, like a very hot, mighty wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, that he fainted and wished in himself to die, and said, Is it better for me to die than to live? So Jonah's pretty wroth here in himself simply because God did not judge this people. And it almost sounds like Jonah didn't want this people to repent in the first place. He was like angry because of it. Verse 9, And God said to Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the ground? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. So listen to Jonah here. He's saying, God, because, you know, look at the way this people repented and you know, they're doing their own work. So why am I even here? It's like, it sounds like he's saying, why am I even here, God? And this is what a lot of people will do. When they see someone who is messed up in the world, they pretty much have it in their own hearts. This person's not going to repent. Why should I even waste time on them? Well, why did God waste time on us then? Verse 10. Then said the Lord, thou hast had pity on the ground for the which thou hast not labored. Neither thou madest it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between the right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? So what he's saying here is that Nineveh did not know God before today. Before Jonah went in and preached to them, they did not know. Mm -hmm. So what he's saying here is that this is people repented so greatly, even if they covered their cattle or their herbs or whatever, the king took off his robe and put on sackcloth because in that time, that's how they repented and showed humility before God was they put on sackcloth. You know, and today, it, that even goes for today. You know, we're out there ministering. You're going to run into, we're going to run into people who are drug addicts. We're going to run into people that don't know Jesus Christ. And it could be the very first time in their life that they're hearing about it. And, and simply because we don't see them as, you know, we see ourselves, doesn't make them any less. You know, because how much of in the world were we messed up before someone took the time and say, let me talk to you about Jesus Christ 
for real. Let me introduce you to someone that can heal you. And it takes time. It took time for me, and it's still taking time. So, I mean, and that's just the thing that, you know, we can't be religious in that mindset. We cannot just, you know, see someone and say, well, they won't come to the Lord. Why waste my time? Well, you know, because Jesus Christ took the time to come into our lives. You know, so that's what I have. That's awesome, man. You know, I should have brought this up earlier because I think that um, this was important. But this says 40 evidences uh, that you may have left your first love. Mm. Now, man, I should have brought this up earlier, but this is what it says. You can go hours or days without having more than a passing uh, than a passing uh, thought of him. Uh, you see, so that's something we just all have to check ourselves. Don't get offended by this, guys. You know, you all you just want to improve. You don't have a strong desire to spend time with him. You don't have a strong hunger for the word. Bible reading is a chore, something to mark off your to-do list. This is four. Spending time in prayer is a burden duty rather than a delight. This is five. Your worship is formal, dry, lifeless, merely going through the motions. This is six. Private prayer and worship are almost non-existent, cold and dry. This is seven. You are more concerned about physical health, well-being, and comfort than about the well-being and condition of your soul. Man, this is seven. I mean, this is eight. I think that was seven. This is eight. You crave physical food while uh, having little appetite for spiritual food. This is nine. You crave human companionship more than a relationship with Christ. This is ten. You spend more uh, time and effort on your physical appearance than on cultivating inner spiritual beauty to please Christ. This is eleven. Your heart toward Christ is cold and indifferent, not tender as it once was, not easily moved by the word, talk of spiritual things, etc. This is twelve. Christianity is more of a checklist than a relationship with Christ. This is 13. You measure spirituality, uh, yours, others, by performance rather than the condition of the heart. This is what we went over. This is all Martha. This is 14. Uh, Christianity is defined more, uh, more what by what you do than, I guess they meant is defined more by what you do than you are than you, than who you are doing versus being. Again, like we talked about works instead of it being grown in us. 15, your obedience and service are motivated and fueled by expectations of others or a desire to impress others more than by passion for Christ. I mean, these are all, this was the whole lesson. Uh, 16, you are more concerned about what others think uh, and pleasing them than about what God knows, about what God knows in pleasing Christ. Uh, this is 17. Your service for Christ and others is motivated by sense of duty or obligation. This is 18. You find yourself becoming resentful over the hardships and demands of serving Christ and others. This is 19. 
You can talk with others about kids, marriage, weather, and the news, but struggle to talk about the Lord in spiritual matters. This is 20. You have a hard time coming up with something fresh to share in a testimony service at church or when someone asks, what's God been doing in your life? This is 21. You are formal, rigid, and uptight about spiritual things rather than joyful and winsome. This is 22. You are critical and harsh toward those who are doctrinally off base or living in sin. Now, see, there's nothing wrong being critical here. I want to word this right, but we're not for sin. Okay, we might sin, but this is for correction. But if you are judging harshly, then that's self-righteousness. Okay, this is 23. You enjoy secular songs, movies, and books more than songs or reading material that point you to Christ. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on, we've all had apples out of this bag. So this is all about correction. This is 24. You prefer the company of people who don't love Christ to the company of fellows and fellowship of those who do. 25. You are more interested in recreation, entertainment, and having fun than in cultivating intimacy with Christ through worship, prayer, the word, like the living word, the Bible, and Christian fellowship. This is 26. You display attitudes or or are involved in activities that you know are contrary to scripture, but you continue them in them anyways. This is 27. You justify small areas of disobedience, and that's in quotation, small, areas of disobedience or compromise. This is 28. You have been drawn back into sin habits that you put off when you were a young believer. This is 29. Little things that used to disturb your conscience no longer do. This is 30. You are slow to respond to conviction over sin or, or you ignore it altogether. This is 31. You enjoy certain sins and want to hang on to them. You are unwilling to give them up for Christ. Almost done. This is 32. You are not grieved by sin. It is no big deal to you. This is 33. You are consistently allured by certain sins. This is 34. You are self-righteous, more concerned about sin in others' lives than in your own. This is 35. You are more concerned about having the right position than the right disposition. I like that one. This is 36. You tend to hold tightly to money and things rather than being quick to give to meet the needs of others. This is 37. You rarely give sacrificially to the Lord's work. This is 38. You rarely have a desire or burden to give. When you hear the legitimate financial needs within the body, your church, or a ministry. This is 39. Accumulating and maintaining material things consumes more time and effort on your part than seeking after the cultivating rich spiritual riches, like Christ be informed in you. And this is 40. You have broken relationships with other believers that you are unwilling to have, not attempting to reconcile. You know, so I think that that's important that people may know this and know what this is about, because sure enough, 
somebody's on this list. There is no way that you can say, you might be on there for about 10 of the 40 things. Who knows? But the point is, is this is all for admonition for us to understand what correction is, what needs to be done, that we may be right with Christ. Exactly. And again, you know, Mary and not Martha. All right, so Melissa's going to pray out, and we're going to uh, conclude. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this lesson today, these reminders, these corrections. We thank you for this time and your grace to learn these things and that we pray that you would continue to be built up in us. We pray for all those listening out there that this can happen with them as well and that as we go out and take your word out to others that we can let them know this too, that you can be built up in them as well. We pray that you would wake up and shake up your people, call them to you, and we pray for your continued coverage over us while we go through this process. Lord, and you know, we pray that you find us worthy to not have it taken away and to keep the devil from us, build us up in our armor, Lord. Continue to strengthen us, for you are so amazing, Lord, to give us this opportunity and and this knowledge of you and this chance to have fellowship directly with you, Lord. It's it's truly such a gift, and we're so grateful for it, Lord, and we just want to bring it to others. And in your mighty, mighty name, thank you so much, Lord. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.